Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Welcome back. I'm Pastor Ken Bear with Faith Dialogue here in Celebration, Florida. And, and we're in the middle of a sermon series called Unstoppable. It's based on the Acts of the Apostles. You know, in the Acts of the Apostles, we have witnessed uh, from very big, very humble beginnings, the birth and the growth of the early church. Uh, beginning in Pentecost, we saw the Holy Spirit arise uh, with uh, power and with fire. And we've seen very clearly through the travels of the Apostle Peter, and now the Apostle Paul, that the Holy Spirit has, has stayed with this group. It has stayed with the group and has been able to, uh, through the hands of Paul and also of Peter, uh, to perform miracles. And we had a great teaching on that because what we found was that um, many times we were introduced to people that, uh, uh, that uh, received the baptism of John. We said that was the baptism of repentance. Uh, but then they laid hands on them. Paul would lay hands on them and they would receive the Holy Spirit and they would prophesy and speak in unknown tongues just as they had on the day of Pentecost. But we also taught that while the Holy Spirit is there for the power, the Holy Spirit um, indwells every believer, every believer that believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He rose from the dead, that is born again, has the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is still available to the believers in the church, the body of Christ, to be able to receive power. Just as these early disciples received power when the Holy Spirit came on them, uh, the Holy Spirit today is the equipper of the church. It's the enabler of the church. Um, as the Holy Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit that leads, guides, empowers, and equips um, the church today. It's the primary purpose, the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is to bring life uh, to a, a, a people that are dead in their sins. And the Holy Spirit comes and equips them and gives them new birth. You know, we also spent some time talking about ministries of like people like Priscilla and Aquila, um, a husband and wife team, a woman and a man, uh, that uh, during a very significant time in the ministry of uh, a disciple named Apollos was able to explain to him more clearly the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And Apollos received that gift. Now, we didn't see fanfare. We didn't see... Uh, we didn't see speaking in tongues, we didn't see any demonstration of the Holy Spirit, but Apollos was equipped with the Holy Spirit to be able to, to have the power that he needed. To this day, the Holy Spirit continues in this day to not only be the agent of salvation, but also to provide the courage, the strength, and the power that is needed for everyday ministry. Okay, so let's get back to our text. So last week, we were finishing up on Paul's ministry in Ephesus. And we said that Ephesus was the city that housed or had one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And that, that uh, one of those wonders was the Temple of Diana, also known as the Temple of Artemis. In chapter 19, we saw there was a silversmith named Demetrius who argued that both his livelihood and the, and the livelihood of all of the merchants, all of the souvenir sellers, the sellers of, of uh, silver and trinkets and amulets, um, were, were in jeopardy 
because people were no longer coming to the temple in great number like they used to because of the ministry of Paul and this early church called the Way. Um, and so he said actually that their, their goddess Diana was being threatened as well uh, by this group that he called the Way. And we see that, that then there was a, a riot. A, riots have been around for a long time, just like today. People start assembling, and the next thing you know, the, a riot breaks out. These people were shouting, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And, and we said that neither Paul nor the leaders of the early church necessarily spoke against Diana, spoke against the, the temple. Um, however, um, at the same time, their, their businesses, their businesses were impacted. These silversmiths were finding there was a decrease in their business. And we said that the followers of the way, just as the people that are in the body of Christ today, often have an impact on the people. When you believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you believe in Jesus as the Messiah, it impacts the way you think and the way you act in society. And just as at, in that time they were less likely to be frequenting the temple of, of Diana or any other pagan god or goddess, uh, people today that follow Jesus Christ are less likely to be what? To be like drug dealers or adulterers or bank robbers. In actuality, um, people that follow the way, people that are in the body of Christ today, the scriptures say are to be to live a peaceful and productive life. So let's get back. We're going to be in the end of the chapter 19 today, and we'll pick up in verse 35. And when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus? Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called in question of today's uproar. For there's no reason which we may give to account for this disorderly gathering. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. So these words finishes up chapter 19. And we, we are told that a city clerk comes out and is actually able to quiet the crowd. You know, something that modern day police officers, mayors, governors, Hollywood stars are unable to do. This city clerk was able to do it. Now, the city clerk, by the way, is the equivalent of what we would call a mayor. The Greek word here to describe the clerk is the same word scribe that we use to describe a, a, a Jewish scribe, a, a, an attorney, a, a, a person that was trained in the law. However, there's a government moniker as well, identifying him to be a city official. Notice he says these words. He says, therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. Well, what are the things that cannot be denied? Well, the majesty, the authenticity of the goddess Diana that he reveres and these people all revere, along with that magnificent temple, the 60-foot pillars and marble columns. Well, the fact is, is that they laid in, laid in ruins for nearly 1,600 years. Diana is, is long forgotten, except in the history books, while our God is still the same. 
He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the Holy Spirit continues in His ministry today. His ministry in the body of Christ is still unstoppable. So, through reason, this city clerk, this government official, is able to quiet and then dismisses the crowd. By the way, Dr. Luke uh, uses the word assembly, uh, which is the Greek word ekklesia. Um, we, uh, this is where we get the word the church. Now, this word ekklesia is really non-religious. It doesn't necessarily refer to a sacred institution or a sacred gathering. It means an association of people. It means when people gather. And, you know, today we need to understand that. That's what the church is. The church is nothing without the assembly of, of people, of people gathering together uh, to pray, uh, to worship, uh, to fellowship together, to hear the Word of God. That's what the, that's what the church is. It, it breaks my heart to think that there are shuttered churches, there are former churchgoers that no longer attend services, no longer attend the ecclesia um, in places like California and New York and Minnesota and other places. In fact, there are, there are many people here in Florida that have decided that it's not time yet to go back to church. They're staying away from church because of, of COVID, because of a fear that somehow they are better off staying home than going to a church service. But let me tell you, my brother and sister, they are wrong. If you're sick, stay at home. But if you're not sick, you need to attend a church service and you need to be there in person. Let's move on. So we're now turning the page. We're turning the page and we're getting into chapter 20. And we'll be there for just a few verses today. Verse 20, chapter, uh, chapter 20, verse 1. After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. Now when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece and stayed three months. And when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. You know, pastor and author Chuck Swindoll, one of my favorites, points out that when we study the journeys of, of Paul in the book of Acts, we're not just reading the travelogue, of some, of some vacationer, uh, but we're that this is the travel log of a man. This is the account of a man we're observing who had, who was carrying the redemptive plan of God, um, and it was unfolding just as God had promised. Uh, God is using this man, this this Saul of Tarsus, to reach and reclaim a, a, a dying world. You know, Satan had a death grip on the world since the fall of Adam, and Jesus came and paid the price for our sin, and that was, that was necessary. It was necessary for Jesus to die on the cross to pay the, the penalty that we couldn't pay. It, it, it said that Jesus paid a debt he didn't owe uh, uh, for us because we couldn't pay that debt. Um, Jesus would redeem mankind through his sacrifice on the cross, but it was, it was while it was the cross that enabled sin to be taken away, um, the, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob uses men, men like Peter and Paul, Timothy, Barnabas, Priscilla, Aquila. Priscilla's a woman. He uses men and women in order to accomplish his purpose. And that, my friends, is what makes the church unstoppable. It's through the ministry of the Holy Spirit working in the lives of believers that continues to, th to this day to bring the gospel to those that are lost, those that are blinded by the God of this world. 
So it says that uh, Paul embraces these disciples. Uh, these are his friends. These are the partners in, in his ministry. And it says that Paul heads back to Greece where he stayed for three months. Now Dr. Luke doesn't tell us much about this time that he spent in, in Greece except that when he was ready to sail to Syria, uh, he, there, was a, there was a plot by the Jews to, to kill Paul. And he found out about this plot and as a result, instead of taking a fast-moving ship, he traveled by land along with some companions. Now it was Paul's intention to sail directly from Corinth to Jerusalem. He wanted to be there for the Feast of Passover. And then there was this Jewish plot to kill Paul. You know, God was faithful in protecting Paul. I mean, to this day, there are, there are plots by the evil one against pastors, against missionaries, against evangelists or, or Christian workers. And when this happens, and it's happening all the time, we need to rely on God. God can still fight our battles and He will. We have to trust Him knowing that He alone is, is sovereign. He alone has determined the number of days, the extent and scope of our ministry. Uh, the Apostle I'm sorry, the, uh, the Old Testament prophet, uh, Isaiah, said this. He says, No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, saith uh, the Lord. And that's Isaiah chapter 54. So let's continue. Verse 4. And Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia, also Aristarchus and Segundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and Tisius, and Trophimus of Asia. These men going ahead waited for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them at Troas, where we stayed seven days. So we see here a listing of the companions of the Apostle Paul. From, and these men are from various churches, these cities where Paul had visited and planted churches in his earlier missionary journeys. You know, one of the commentaries that I read had an interesting point. Paul speaks of this time, this time when he was um, uh, getting ready to travel. Um, of, he speaks of this time in 1 Corinthians. Uh, that he was heading back to Jerusalem to take money that had been collected in the various churches. Now Paul was happy that these men were all traveling with him in order that there was no mishandling of the funds. Paul had high integrity and having these men with him ensured that the funds would be safe kept and that nobody could accuse Paul of pilfering the funds. You know, uh, Billy Graham has a number of rules for ministry. I love Billy Graham. He's one of my modern-day heroes. Um, and Billy Graham said that for the sake of integrity and accountability, we don't do things alone, but we minister while others are still present, especially, especially when we handle large sums of money. Ministers should not minister alone. Uh, whether that's uh, in ministering uh, with, uh, uh, with a person of the opposite sex or of children. We want to always be in twos so that we have uh, accountability. We want to be above, above reproach. Everything that Paul has done uh, was for integrity. Paul had a very high sense of uh, integrity and accountability. Now these names are interesting that we covered and some of them are very hard to pronounce. Uh, one of them is Aristarchus. 
Aristarchus and Segundus. Now it says that both of these men came from Thessalonia. Now Aristarchus' name actually comes from the word aristocracy. Isn't that interesting? Aristocracy or a ruling class. This is a ruling class. This is likely that he was a man of wealth uh, and power. Uh, he sent from Thessalonia with this other man named Segundus. Now Segundus actually also has another name. It means second. Most likely Segundus was a, a slave. It was not unusual at that time for masters to rename their slaves and a second-class slave would be called Segundus. It just so happens that a high-ranking slave was often called Primus. If you hear see the name Primus uh, in antiquity, often that's a slave that is a first-class or a high-ruling slave. However, a second-ranking slave would be called Segundus. You know, I can't help but be reminded of the words of Paul, where he says there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, but you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, one more comment. In verse 6, it happens to, Dr. Luke happens to say, but we sailed from, from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. Now, this is an indication that Dr. Luke has now rejoined the group. Um, he's one of the companions at this time of Paul. He, you know, Dr. Luke was an amazing historian, and God used him to write this Acts of the Apostle along with the Gospel of Luke, the Luke that the Gospel that actually bears his name. So let's continue, verse 7, and this will be our last passage uh, for today's scripture reading. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. And in the window sat a certain young man named uh, Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down, fell on him, and embraced him, saying, Do not trouble yourself, for his life is in him. Now when he had come up, had broken bread and eaten, and talked a long while, even till daybreak, he departed. And they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted. So, so here we see the disciples gathering together for a worship service, and it's the first day of the week. It says they gathered together to, to break bread, a reference to, to having communion. When the disciples came together to break bread. This is, a, this is one of the first examples we have of Christians uh, making a practice to gather on the first day of the week, the day we call the Lord's Day. Um, though here it seems this was an evening service because it says that Paul uh, continued for many hours until, until midnight. So let's chat just a minute about the church practice of meeting on Sundays. I often get questions and there's a lot of misunderstandings related to the Sabbath, whether that's Saturday or Sunday, and whether the church should be meeting on Saturday or Sunday. You know, the scripture illustrates that the church gathered together for worship on the first day of the week, what we call the Lord's Day. Um, now, the, the names of the, uh, of the week, the names we have, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, are all basically named for, for, for gods, for Greek gods, for celestial, uh, uh, celestial beings. Uh, and also, you know, even the, the, lame, uh, the names of the other weekdays are named for gods as well. Did you know that, for example, Thursday it actually comes from the Norse and German god of, 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 uh, called Thor? 
It's Thor's day, which is actually Thursday. So here's the, here's the bottom line. Uh, scripture does not require Christians who are under the new covenant to observe the Saturday Sabbath, the seventh day Sabbath. That was a sign to the Jews under the Mosaic covenant. The New Testament does not observe, not require Christians to observe the Sabbath. And in the book of Hebrews, for example, uh, the writer of the book of Hebrews says that uh, regarding the Sabbath, that the Sabbath is a time of rest. And, and actually all of us that follow Jesus Christ and been set free from the law of sin and death have entered into that, that rest. We're no longer working for our salvation, but we've entered into the Sabbath rest. If you recall also back in chapter 15 of the book of Acts when we talked about the Jerusalem Council, the Jerusalem Council made no requirement um, on the Gentiles to observe a Sabbath rest. You know, we're encouraged in the Bible to assemble together, to come together to pray, to worship, to fellowship, to hear instructions, and, and to be together. And however, there's no specificity as to, to when this should happen. Uh, the early church met often on the Lord's Day, which is the day that Jesus rose from the dead, the very first day of the week. Um, also, Sunday uh, should not be referred to as the Sabbath. Uh, the Sabbath is, this, is the last day of the week. It's the last day of the week, and it's held by the Jews to be a day of, of rest. So, let's go on. We come to this very interesting story of this young man named Eucatus, um, who fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Uh, the combination of the late hours, probably the lamps giving out some kind of a smoke, the heat, um, probably all contributed to, to, uh, to this young man falling asleep. Now this is a time when many people that are teaching this passage can talk how it's possible for a pastor to literally bore a person to, to death. I, you know, I, as, as a pastor, I don't really mind if somebody falls asleep during one of my sermons. I figure they're at peace. I don't encourage you, however, to sit near a window while you're listening to me teach. Nevertheless, there are a few things that we can take away from this passage, so I want to get to them. First, Paul sensed the need to be able to speak for a, a long time. Um, remember, he was re getting ready to depart the very next day. At the time, there was no Bible. There were actually very few skilled teachers. And Paul likely knew that this was going to be the last opportunity he had to be able to instruct them, to instruct these disciples, to be able to, to give them the benefit of his experience, his wisdom. Um, this was the great apostle Paul, and it was important for them to hear from him. Um, secondly, the people were happy, very happy to hear Paul preach. And we might realize that at the end it says that after Eucatus came back to life, uh, Paul continued to preach for another six hours and the people were willing to hear the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, teach them for all of this time. Um, this was no short service. This was no uh, quick and out because there's there's uh, fast passes at Disney that you've got to get to soaring by one o'clock. And these disciples were there to, to learn, to pray, and to hear from the Apostle Paul. Notice that, uh, that after Eucatus falls, um, there, there's very little that's said actually about how Paul revives him. It just says that they were very happy to have him back. And Paul goes back and he actually preaches until daybreak. Now, the last point to this is that God is faithful. 
Paul stops his sermon because the boy fell to his death. But he sensed that God was not done. God was going to raise this young man up. We don't have any of the details on how Paul did this. It says he fell on him and embraced him and said, this is not unto death. But God does do miracles through his apostles, through his prophets, through his, even through his modern day ministers. You know, Elijah raised up a young woman's son. Um, uh, that was Elijah. Elijah raised up the son of the Shunammite woman. The apostle Peter raised up Tabitha. And here we see Paul raising up Eutychus. And there's no fanfare here. Uh, it's just God at work through his apostles and through his prophets. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you for the opportunity to be able to, to hear, hear. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org. Dialogue.org.